I want to, this morning, uh, before we get going on things, we're going to be preaching or looking at the book of Acts this morning, Acts chapter 12. But before I get there, I want to lay the groundwork for you, if you don't mind, for just a moment by looking back into the book of Isaiah in chapter 55. I want to read a couple of verses there, and then we're going to dive into the sermon, and I'll simply ask that the verses I'm about to read, you keep those in mind as we walk through the sermon this morning. Is everybody good with that? All right. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 9. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. In verse 8, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And Father, as we do come together as one body united in the blood of Christ this morning. I pray that uh, as we open your word, as we read your word, and as we seek your face even this morning and in this place, Lord, I pray that you would be real to us. Father, I pray that our hearts would be turned to you. Lord, I pray that we would hear of the faithfulness of your love in Christ. Amen. So I had a couple of friends years ago. Uh, one of them his name is, uh, was Mr. J.K. Brumbelow. Mr. J.K. Brumbelow was an army veteran from World War II, and he had a friend. His best friend was a guy who had, I think, one of the most awesome names in the history. If I could go back in time and have my parents rename me, I would be renamed this guy's name. His name was Raider White. That's an awesome name. Raider was a Marine Corps veteran from World War II. I was talking to these two gentlemen one day about um, maybe in 1998, 1999, somewhere around in there, and they were talking about their experiences in World War II. And as it turned out, they both fought on Iwo Jima, the Battle of Iwo Jima, which is a big deal. Fair enough, brother, big deal, Iwo Jima. Y'all still celebrate that as a pretty big thing, right? That's a big battle. It's a Marine Corps battle. So my question to Mr. Raider White and Mr. J.K. Brumbelow was, Mr. Brumbelow, how did you end up on Iwo Jima? That was a Marine Corps battle and you were in the Army. Mr. White leaned into me and said, he's stupid and got on the wrong truck. <laughs> While they were on Iwo Jima, Mr. White, both of these men, by the way, have gone home to be with the Lord. While they were uh, engaged in battle on Iwo Jima, Mr. White and his battle buddy or, or whatever term that they used at the time, his guy that he, he went everywhere with, he did everything with, they were their own little team. As they were uh, battling against the Japanese on Iwo Jima, uh, they began to receive mortar rounds. And as the mortars came in, Mr. Brumbelow would say, or sorry, Mr. White would say that he and his friend were, were working their way down. They could hear the mortars coming in. There was a fallen tree on the ground from where uh, there had been um, munitions exploded earlier. So Mr. Mr. White dove on the ground next to this tree. And his best friend dove on the ground on the other side of that tree. A moment later, the back of Mr. White's hill was gone, and so was his friend. One tree, one man fell on one side, one man fell on the other side, one man was killed in action, one man received a purple heart. How do you explain sometimes that 
One person lives and one person doesn't. One person uh, is blessed beyond measure and another person struggles to find bread. My own sons, y'all know the story of my sons, two boys, 10 year, or 13 years old now, uh, one minute apart, just like these two young ladies over here. Womb mates from the very beginning. They think I'm stupid when I say that, but I like it. Womb mates from the beginning. Noah severely disabled, Matthew fully healthy. Is God in the business of putting his favor on one person more so than on the other person? And if that's the case, do we see it the way that God sees it? There's a couple of points that I want you to uh, keep in mind this morning as we walk through the scripture. The first thing that I want you to keep in mind is that God is sovereign always in all things at all times and above all things. God is sovereign and the next thing on that is God always wins. Always. With that, let's turn over into the book of Acts. Chapter 12, I am reading uh, from a really awesome looking Bible today because mine was taken out of my truck a couple of days ago. Uh, Acts chapter 12, we're going to read this in pieces, but we're going to read all the way down through verse 24. But to start out with, I want to read just verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 12, now about that time Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. And so when he had arrested him, when he had arrested Peter, he put him in prison and he delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. James the brother of John. One sentence, he was executed with the sword. Peter, a fellow apostle of Jesus Christ, both of these men walked with Jesus Christ. Peter arrested and put in prison and Herod's every intention is to kill Peter as well. Now, we go back to, I talk about uh, nicknames or names of, of Raider White and others. Now, James had, I think, again, one of the coolest nicknames. If I am figuring out who I'm going to use to build my church, if I am God, and I'm going to figure out how and who to use to build my church, I'm going to choose a couple of guys whose nicknames are the Sons of Thunder, because that's awesome, and these guys can get it done. But yet, with one sentence, we read here. Then he, Herod, killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. I struggle with that. I struggle sometimes with knowing that God's favor doesn't meet or doesn't require or doesn't even match with what my view of God's favor is. This is James and Peter. My ways are not your ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts. In this passage here that we're reading, I've broken this up into three things. The first one is the execution. James, the son of thunder, is killed. The second will be the great escape, and then the third will be the grisly death. But I want to focus here again. As James is killed, how did the people react? They cheered. 
They were happy. Herod was doing the right thing. Herod was building a name for himself. And let us, we're going to cover this in just a moment, but let's go ahead and put this out there now. Herod was the grandson of the same Herod who tried to kill Jesus as an infant, as a baby. And Herod's dad was the same dad that mocked Jesus while he was on trial. And now we have Herod III, who is after the disciples of Jesus Christ and intent in every way to stomp out these people that believe in a risen Savior. He is confident that he can ruin the plans of Almighty God. And I'm here to tell you again, God always wins. So wanting more praise, wanting more people to lift him up, wanting more people to say it is all about Herod. He arrested Peter as well, and we read here that he was kept in prison. And if we read verse 5, I should have, uh, should have stopped at verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to, uh, to God for him by the church. So what is the difference we see here? Is the difference, I want to I be cautious on this. I don't want to have any risk of leaving any impression that the difference in James being executed and the difference in Peter being uh, involved in the great escape, if you will, or Peter being spared, I do not want to give you the impression that the reason James died and Peter didn't is because people were praying for Peter. I do not want to give you that impression because I do not believe that is what Scripture is teaching here. Our early church fathers were known for prayer. That's what they did. That is how they communicated with God. They poured themselves out in prayer. And we would be wrong to believe that they weren't also praying for James. So what is the difference? In our world, we have developed this idea that God is, we've seen a lot of that this week, that God is democratic. That he will change his mind if enough of us ask him. When I was a kid, this is not in my notes, y'all get this for free because I keep thinking about this. When I was a kid, uh, I don't know if any of y'all did this, if I wanted to go over to my friend's house or if I wanted to go somewhere, if I wanted to do something, I wasn't going to go ask my mom because I knew her answer would immediately be no. But if I could get two or three of my friends to go ask her, she's not going to be mean and say no to them. If y'all knew my mom, she was mean and said no to them. But our idea of this is that we look at God in the same way and we look on social media. Y'all have seen the posts. I need as many people as I can to storm the throne room of heaven so that my boyfriend, girlfriend, mother, father, daughter, son, whomever, whatever will be taken care of. But I need you to understand God isn't in heaven counting votes in the same way that we count votes. And we don't get to a point where he says, mm, 49% were in favor of me doing this thing, but that's not a majority. I'm not going to do it. God is not democratic. Brother Matt said it earlier. God is sovereign. His ways are above our ways, and our thoughts are not his thoughts. Why did James die and Peter live? Because it was the sovereign will of God that James serve his Lord by giving his life that day. And there is no other answer. But I do want you to know that as Christians, we are going to suffer. As Christians, if y'all aren't aware of this, we are going to die. We're going to encounter hardship. We're going to encounter heartbreak. We're going to encounter things where we fall on our face before God and beseech him to intercede and we don't see his movement. 
But I want you to know this morning that not one second, not one millisecond of our hurt or our suffering escapes his attention. He does use the prayers of his people, but so often he uses the prayers of his people to bring us in line with him. Not for us to talk him into it, but for him to bring us to him. Think of the church in the book of Acts. Certainly, again, they had prayed for James. But James died. So why in the world would you get together and pray for Peter? Because it didn't work the last time. Well, the reason why is because they knew something that sometimes Brian forgets. I'm not putting this on y'all, that Brian forgets. And that is that God is absolutely trustworthy in every way. He's trustworthy, even though I don't understand it. So they prayed, and God delivered Peter. I want to go back a little bit in time at this point. Look at James for just a moment. Do you all remember James? Uh, Y'all remember it was James and John. They were the sons of thunder. We just talked about that, right? Do y'all remember what their mama did in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 20, I think? She went to Jesus and said, hey, I'd like for my sons to sit one at your right hand and one at your left hand when you come into glory. What did Jesus say? So, see, that's what we all, and I'm not putting you on the spot, brother, but that's what we all say. Jesus said, that's not mine to give. But he said something before that that's crucial for us to remember. He said, can you drink of my cup? And James said, we can. And Jesus said, you will drink of my cup. James was executed by the sword. James drank of the cup. John, you'll recall also, as Jesus was risen from the dead and Jesus was talking to Peter. Y'all know that at the end of, uh, I think, the book of John where Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my, feed my sheep. Feed me three times. And then what did Peter say? Well, what about John? Same John. And Jesus said, what is it to you if I have him tarry until I return? Don't focus on that. Don't focus on whether or not James has been executed by the sword. Don't focus on whether or not Peter is about to have the great escape from prison. Focus on the fact that Jesus Christ himself is risen from the dead and nothing can change that. That is where our focus should be, not on the hurts and pains and, and hangups that we have. Focus on the risen Lord. So the first truth out of all of this, God is God. God is sovereign and God is good even when we suffer. And the second thing, when we pray, because we see here the church is praying, when we pray, do we put our trust in our prayer or do we put our trust into the one to whom we pray? I want to say that again. When we pray, are we putting our trust in our prayer or are we putting our trust in the one to whom we're praying? I want, to read in, uh, I want to read the next part of this all the way up through. And I'm going to go back to my notes and read it from here because I've got it marked better. I'm going to start again in verse 5. We're going to read down to verse 19. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping. And I love that. Peter was sleeping. 
bound with two chains between them, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now, I'm going to pause here and say that Luke wants you to be sure to know that this wasn't like house arrest. Peter was in prison. He was chained to a couple of soldiers. He was behind a locked door. There's no mistaking that he was in prison here. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angels and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. And when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate. But she ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, but motioning to them to keep them silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. And as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea, to Caesarea and stayed there. I want to look at the church here. They are fervently praying. They are on their face, gathered together. Brother Matt talked about corporate prayer earlier as we come together and we humble ourselves before God and we lift up our prayers to Him. This is what they were doing. They were adamantly praying for the delivery and the salvation, physical salvation of Peter. But they're so caught up in praying, they're so caught up in asking, for honest, they're so caught up in their desire and their view of how God should move that they can't even see when God moves. Can you imagine Peter showing up? And Rhoda goes running, who is it? It's me, Peter. It's Peter. And she runs back in. Don't you know Peter's outside going, hey, the guards are coming. I need you to open the door. But Rhoda's inside, and everybody in there that is praying for the release, for the salvation of Peter, they don't even believe it. But it's what they're praying for in the moment. How often do we get so caught up in, God, I need you to... I was telling Matt last night, this is a hard thing, but it's real. How often do we get so caught up in, I need you to heal my friend, my husband, my brother. And our friend, husband, brother, mother dies and we think God has abandoned us and not hurt us. When God is there saying, I have healed them. They're with me. They're whole. I have healed them. How often do we tell God we want him to move in X way 
to accomplish why he does everything that we've asked him for, but he doesn't do it the way we think he should. So we think he's not hearing us or he's not answering. I imagine that the people here in the church were thinking, God, change Herod's mind. Tomorrow, when he goes in and pulls Peter out, change his mind that he will release him. Or, God, as he pulls uh, Peter out, let the people not rejoice and let Herod see that this isn't the way to go and let him release Peter. They're not even expecting. In fact, it's his angel. They believe maybe he's already been killed, but Peter is standing there in the flesh. God has moved and they're so caught up in themselves that they can't see it. And I'm not being critical of this church because, y'all, I would do the same thing. Do we believe in our prayer or do we believe in to whom we are praying? So focused are we sometimes in telling God how to answer that we miss his answer. I told you all, uh, Matt referenced it, that um, I went to basic training for the Navy in 19... I'm not even going to finish that. Long time ago. When I graduated basic training, I went there weighing 163, 164 pounds. I was awesome. When I graduated, I weighed 132 pounds. I was not well. I had changed so much that I walked up to my mother, and my mother very literally grabbed my shirt and threw me out of the way and said, get out of my way, I'm looking for my son. So caught up was she in knowing what she was looking for, she couldn't see that I was standing right there in front of her. Oftentimes that is our response to God. Rhoda hears the voice. The people don't believe it, but finally they do open the door. And here's the thing, God is sovereign and he hears our prayers and he will often move in ways that we can't even fathom. His ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. And if we're honest this morning, that should give us great comfort. He's not bound by our mind. Finishing out this passage of scripture. Where did we stop at? There we go. Verse 20, now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. But they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. And so, on a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, he sat on his throne, and he gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. And then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord grew and multiplied. Three generations of Herod we talked about just a moment ago. Three generations that had stood in direct opposition to God. Three generations that would have the people uh, of that region saying, Herod is winning. Herod is killing the apostles of Jesus Christ. Herod put Jesus to death. Three generations of people that would say, it's all about Herod. And God's people are being killed. God is silent. Let us turn to Herod. Our world today is no different. 
People believe that they are smarter than God. And I'm, I'm saying people believe they are. I'm going to say we. We believe sometimes that we are smarter than God. In fact, we describe our country as post-Christian. We no longer need God. We're the United States. We don't need that. He's just an invention of man before science came along. But I remind you, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Herod let the people make him out to be God, and Herod died. Look at verse 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. One sentence. We started out at the beginning. One sentence when James was killed. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And we're at the end of the passage in one sentence. But the word of God grew and multiplied. If you want to know the point of all of this, it is that sentence. The word of God grew and multiplied. The king killed James. But the word of God grew. Peter's next. But the word of God multiplied. Our country can't count ballots at an election, but the word of God endures forever. It doesn't matter, y'all. Our God is in control. Our God reigns. Our God is sovereign. Yes, we look at our world and we get hurt. We get upset. Things don't go the way we want them to, but the word of God endures forever. It doesn't change. We may suffer. We may feel like God isn't paying attention, that he's too busy focusing on other things. But look at Peter. As he's about to be killed the very next day, and he knows this, he knows that Herod's going to come get him the next day. He's going to take him out. He's going to kill him before the people, and the people are going to rejoice in that. He knows that. And yet, he is so sound asleep that the angel of the Lord has to hit him to wake him up. Not only that, but he's so sound asleep that when the angel hits him and wakes him up, he thinks he's dreaming. Years ago, when I was in the Navy back again in the 1900s, I, got, I, I went home. Yeah, I'm sure some of y'all have done this. I went back to my barracks. We were uh, stationed in Bermuda at the time. I went back to my, that was hard duty, by the way. Went back to my barracks, fell asleep about 6.30 in the afternoon. I woke up about 6.45 in the afternoon. Y'all ever done that? I thought I had slept for 12 hours. I thought I was late for work. I jumped up, put my uniform back on, and I ran down to the hangar. As I came running in, they were like, what are you doing, man? You just left 25 minutes ago. Peter here was so sound asleep, he thinks he's dreaming. That is how much peace he had with the prince or from the prince of peace. I wonder, if, as he's laying down to go to sleep, I wonder if he thought back to that time on the boat. And y'all remember the time? They got on the boat, Jesus was tired, and he went back and laid down, and he went to sleep. Scripture tells us that the storms came up, and they were so fearful, they went back to him, and they said, Jesus, don't you even care that we are going to perish? Don't you even care? And Jesus, so sound asleep, sits up and says, Oh, ye of little faith. And then he speaks and he calms the seas and he calms the storm. Y'all, we aren't any different. 
We have the storms that come into our life. We have the hurts, the pains, all of that. And Jesus is saying, why are you fearful? I am the Prince of Peace. Why are you afraid? I am the Sovereign King. Why are you in so much turmoil? I have told you to be anxious for nothing. Why do you wonder what will happen to you? I have told you that I will never let you go. Why do you worry so much? I have told you that I gave my life for you. Why do you fear so much? I am in control. And yet, we fear. It is so tempting for us to put our heads down and fail to see the big picture. But here's the picture. The Prince of Peace reigns. In our suffering, we can sleep because his ways are not our ways. We can sleep because he does not lose. For any who have never heard the message of hope, who do not know the Savior, I tell you again, he does not lose. If you stand here today and say, I don't need him, I am post-Christian, I am whatever, hear me, he does not lose. If you are hurting so much, you've gotten away from him, you think he's forgotten about you, he does not lose. And he's promised that he does not lose, he does not lose one of his. He offers all who come to him peace, eternal life and unending love. He promises all who oppose him absolute destruction. As quickly, even as Herod recognized it. One moment, Herod is standing before the people and they are lifting him up as a god. And a moment later, worms are eating his body. But forgiveness and reconciliation are available today for all who would seek him. Eternal life, absolute victory through the conquering King Jesus. If you would know him, he will not turn you away. If you would turn to him, he will receive you. He will give you that same eternal life. If you are hurting, he will give you his peace. If you were here today and you know him, he is inviting you to lay your worries down before him. Peter, the apostle, the same one sleeping here, would later say, cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Has absolutely no guarantee that you are going to get everything that you ever hoped for. We are not going to be the most prosperous, the richest, the most wealthy, and the healthiest. But what he has promised you is you will have absolute eternal life. Peter, the same one here, would say, but for a little while you will endure trials. But for a little while you will endure hurts. But he who died on the cross through the very power of God will protect you unto salvation. Now, y'all, how do we even top that? How do we pray above that? We don't. We rest, as Peter did, in the Prince of Peace. I would invite you, if you bow your heads with me, please. I don't know, I know Matt, you said sometimes you do an invitation, sometimes you don't. But I do not want to end this day without giving people the opportunity to turn their life over to Christ. Because as Herod believed he was God, as Herod believed he did not need God, we, some of us, may believe the same thing. Jesus invites us to him. He invites us to come touch the nail prints in his hand and see that he is the risen king. And he invites us to give our lives to him even this morning. If you are hurting, he invites you to come lay everything down at his feet and walk away in the knowledge that you need not be anxious for anything. 
Heavenly Father, as we this morning have looked at your word, as we this morning have read about the death of your saints, as we have read about your divine deliverance for other saints, Lord, and as we have looked across history at those who serve you and have endured hardship, Lord, we rejoice in knowing that it is your will that is accomplished, that it is you who never loses, and that the end day, Lord, as we look to the risen Savior, we know that there is absolute victory found through the blood of Christ. Let us this morning sing and praise you for your gift of salvation. And if, Lord, any here do not know you, Father, I ask you to draw them to you even in this moment through the blood of Christ. Amen. I'd like to sing one song. If y'all will stand up, uh, just one song. The altar's open. We can socially distance at the altar. You can pray where you are. But don't leave here carrying the hurts and the burdens that you may have come in with. Know that he is here to give you